<laughs> Welcome to Season 7 of Tech Talk. I'm your host, Maria Erb, and with me, as at least always for now, is Ben Kahn. <laughs> Hi, Maria. And we have our special guest today is Anne Santiago from the Political Science Department. Yeah. Hi, Maria. Hi, Thanks ben. for joining University. us. Thanks for having yes, me. Yes, we're excited to have Anne. She's going to be kicking off our UP Crossroads discussion series coming up in a few weeks. So she's here today to talk a little bit about her topic. Our theme for this series this year is taking on the digitocracy. And Anne's theme is going to deal with media literacy, digital citizenship, and a few other assorted <laughs> topics in there. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be very thought-provoking. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to your talk. Great. Me too. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming discussion and give you a preview and a sense of what you're likely to encounter if you attend, and we do hope that you attend. Um, Anne, why don't you uh, introduce us to your topic a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm talking about uh, media literacy and digital citizenship, and as I've been thinking about that um, topic, uh, broad theme, one of the things that comes up for me is what does it mean to be a citizen, um, both within our democracy but also in the use of, of uh, media, uh, the Internet, social media, broadly. Um, and I often think about citizenships uh, in terms of rights and responsibilities. So what rights do we have as citizens? And then what are, re- what are our responsibilities as citizens? Um, and linked to that, for me, because we live within a, a democratic um, society, is um, the idea that we need to have civility within our political realm and within our dealings with one another within society. Um, and I think linked to that, in addition, is is the whole idea of media literacy and whether or not we are paying attention, paying good attention, understanding what information is is coming at us. Um, are we seeking out multiple sources? Are we checking our sources? Um, can we distinguish fact from fiction when, when politicians or, or other um, sort of societal leaders start telling us things? Um, and I think that that issue of being well-informed as a citizen is something that is very critical to the democratic process. Well, one question that I had as we were talking um, right before our show here, you know, we, we do talk a lot about the need to fact check and also to check our sources for validity. And, but I'm just wondering, in the past where we only had a few sources to mm-hmm. get our news from, there really wasn't the sense that we had to fact check. Right. But was our source any more reliable? Yeah. We had more trust, certainly. We had more um, hierarchical kind of set up in our society. Mm-hmm. But right. did we have more truth than we have now? Right. I, that, that's an interesting question. I think um, there's a couple of things that I would – I'm not a media expert, so um, I can't give you facts and figures. But um, there's a, a general sense that there was a broader um, swath of sort of independent media. So now we have – very large corporations owning most of the media um, in the country, and especially when it comes to sort of local newspapers, those are all very much controlled from above, right, rather than sort of independent and local. Um, 
So I think there was a sense that, that there was there has always been a certain view that is projected through the media because that does come from above and, and newspapers and corporations that own them are the ones that decide um, what to put out there. Um, and it and it was definitely, you know, there was definitely the, the conservative side and the liberal side, <clears throat> excuse me, within um, newspapers, for example. Um, but there were also, you know, completely fictitious news that, that came out and, and mm-hmm. poor reporting as well. On the other hand, um, pretty much everybody in society, or at least, you know, uh, working middle, upper class people were reading the newspaper. So there was a general sense that, that people were informed, at least as far as local events that were happening, national events that were happening. I think today newspaper readership is is much, much lower. Um, and I think that can be problematic if people aren't getting information from other sources, right? So we definitely do have a much broader swath of, of information coming at us from different areas um, and different sources. Um, but one of, and that's good, I think, in that it gives lots of different perspectives, right? The difficulty maybe in that is that people don't know how to process that much information and, and sort it out to understand what's valid and what's not valid. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you, I mean, the, the, trade-off is mm-hmm. we have sort of a top-down approach to setting the agenda of what people are uh, discussing and, and mm-hmm. learning. Um, and then now the downside as we moved away from that and are completely decentralized mm-hmm. is that there's no agreed upon baseline of reality that's in, right. <laughs> in many ways. Right. I think that's true. Yeah. Right. And yeah. of course, uh, sorry, in, in the past, you know, of course it was a, a particular... Um, elite class that was giving the information, right? So the the perspective was, you know, upper middle class, generally white, generally male, right? And and now we've got a lot more um, diversity when it comes to access to information. Yeah, I think your point about people don't know how to process the, mm-hmm. the variety of sources and just the sheer volume. Yes. Do you have any pointers or tips <laughs> on how to do that? Um, you know, I think there still are some pretty reliable newspaper sources, for example. Um, and I think we can we can look to those to get broad information. My focus is international, so I tend to um, want to know what's happening globally, right? And I can get the U.S. perspective from, say, the New York Times and the Washington Post. I can get an international perspective by looking at, say, the BBC, right, or the Financial Times, because that'll give me a wide variety. So I would advise people, if they're interested in big topics, to look at some of those those really good um, newspaper sources. But then also, you know, if you're interested in, in something like immigration, look at what some of the think tanks in the United States are saying about it, right? And then also check out Fox News and check out some other sources that give you a different perspective um, and and try to assess, you know, what is what is the truth when when we're being delivered information from, say, the president of the United States or, you know, people who are his spokespeople. I think something that you mentioned and there actually is a great um, advice 
potentially for our, our students or young people, is to actually check out international sources as well. Absolutely. Just because that gives you, in my experience, a very different lens Yes. in, in terms of like what's important and what's being discussed. That's right. Um, versus our, our uh, local or our national uh, news sources. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we do have access to all of these things. I mean, that's what's incredible about it. You know, yeah. I mean, if you were thinking of 25 years ago or 30 years ago, how on earth would you get that's right. Access but, to anything. I mean, I think know? the unfortunate thing is, like, we're talking about people going out and intentionally seeking out information. Right. And I think so many of us are just at the receiving end of a fire hose of information <laughs> yeah. at all times, and it's yeah. not even an right. agenda item to right. go out and, and look for more information. Right. And it can be very overwhelming to mm -hmm. people, I think, to, to try to figure out what is truth. And, and oftentimes, if you get overwhelmed, you just step back and don't engage at all. Mm -hmm. And that's really... Um, problematic, I think, for, for a democracy. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably what's ha exactly what is happening right now. People are just so overwhelmed that they're kind of shutting down right. on, right. on topics, yeah. you know. And I don't want to go too out, far off of topic, but just in the, in the digital realm, I know another issue is uh, the way that we're fed information and the kind of algorithms that control that exactly. tend to find out what we're interested in, what kind of niche things that mm -hmm. we're kind of interested in. And um, as there's a, a techno sociologist um, named, I hope I don't get her name wrong, but it's uh, Zeynep Tafseki. She's a, a Turkish um, American. Mm -hmm. And um, she talks about like you just, YouTube, you can't be too hardcore for something in YouTube. Because if you watch something about like eating well, you might get vegetarianism next. Uh -huh. And then you get veganism. And then you get, right. you know, all the different things. So just as that as an example, but if you're looking at, a, a particular political subject like immigration mm -hmm. and you get one video that leans a, p a particular way right. and you like that, you're going to get fed a lot more right. until you eventually stop watching. Right, right. So and I think Facebook works they, the they same way. They all work way. the same way, mm -hmm. exactly. Yep. So you're pushed to the point of overwhelm? Well, not only that, but you're pushed into kind of an extreme viewpoint on oh. one topic and you might not even see... Um, you're only going to get things that the algorithm thinks that you will like based on what you've liked so far. Right. Yeah. So, so um, I guess we should go back to the topic of digital citizenry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm just, what, what would be your vision for ideally how how this could all work if we're if we're all kind of trying to find the best sources we can and we're sort of weighing what we find and where do you see that leading? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, I think everybody needs to be taught critical thinking skills. <laughs> I think when we're reading, we need to be asking ourselves what evidence is presented, right? Not just what the arguments are, but what evidence is presented. Um, and I think um, that if, if people seek out multiple sources, that helps them to come to sort of a, a common understanding and, and also to understand that most of, of what we get as far as information is from a particular perspective, right? I have a particular worldview. You have a particular worldview. Everybody does, right? And, and so do the people that are, are writing about particular topics that we're interested in. Um, but I do think, you know, as far as information goes, that's, that's an important point to just step back and, and be aware of. Um, and then make our judgments based on that. But when it comes also to, to digital citizenship, um, I think one thing to 
really foster is is a sense of civility and respect for other people. Um, and you know, some of the I'm not on social media because I find it extremely vitriolic and not particularly helpful um, to my own mental health, right? Um, but I think we should be able to sort of self-regulate, take a step back, don't be so reactionary, um, and think about, okay, here's somebody's position. I don't agree with it, but I'm going to respectfully disagree with it um, and not go down some sort of road of, of really um, being on the attack because that only fosters more defensiveness, more attacks, more defensiveness, and that doesn't help us communicate. And I think one of the beautiful things about, you know, about social media, about the Internet, is that we can communicate so much more widely than we ever used to be able to do. Um, but we can also do it very anonymously, which makes us bolder in sort of how we approach it. I'm just wondering what you think about, um, I don't want to say safe spaces, but spaces where the type of discourse you're talking about can occur. I mean, it almost seems like you'd have to have a different space because the ones we have right now are so loaded and they've Mm -hmm. already been so kind of skewed with however people have been using them up till now. Right. So I'm wondering, do you, do you, do you see an existing space being kind of you being able to be repurposed for for these types of things? Or do you think something new would have to come along that's got a fresh look to it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's interesting, because you can think about the idea of, of policing something like Facebook or Twitter, right, where the the company itself could set rules, and then everybody has to abide by that. But I would imagine that's a huge that would be a huge task for the company to actually police all of these different accounts, right? Um, so, so I think you could see it happen, um, but that would almost have to be a top-down solution. Um, but I think you could build a community of, of people who wanted to have serious discussions, serious disagreements, but agree to do it in a way that is civil and that is productive. I I don't really believe in the idea of not hearing what other people have to say because that um, just just cuts us off from communication and discussion and what we're supposed to do within a democracy, which is sort of work these issues out and figure out how to move forward. Um, So I think if somebody out there wants to create a new space, that would be really wonderful. But I think we also need to have maybe a a national discussion about how do we use these platforms that we already have in a better way um, to really have dialogue rather than vitriol. Mm -hmm. Where could we have that discussion? (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's not on social media. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe (laughs) maybe it isn't on social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe it's in our educational systems, right? I mean, starting in middle school, I mean, how many middle school kids are on social media already, mm-hmm. right? And and maybe we have within the curriculum, you know, teaching students about how to be better citizens on social media, in our democracy, um, in, in our society generally. I like that idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> Well, that uh, brings us into the topic of um, regulation that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And how much 
of our interaction should be regulated. Right. And and that's a very difficult topic that each society sort of comes to terms with for itself, right? Our, our democracy has always erred on the side of the individual and the freedoms of the individual. Um, I think sometimes at the cost of social cohesion, right? Um, other democracies tend to do it a little bit the other way so that they're a little bit more um, uh, socially cohesive and a little restrictive on some of the freedoms. You know, just think taxes, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, Sweden has much higher taxes than we do in the name of using those resources to better the society. Um, I think the the danger in any sort of discussion of, of regulating speech is that that easily runs into um, a movement towards authoritarianism. Um, and once you head down that road, it's hard to recover, right? Once you start making restrictions on people, um, people don't like those restrictions when they already have the freedom, and that can lead to, to violence and upheaval. Um, on the other hand, I think if we allow everyone to put out any information they want to say anything they want to spew hatred and and violence really um then that's also a problem for mm-hmm. a democracy but but who gets to regulate that is yeah. is really difficult right i don't think we've quite figured out what the 21st century equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater right. is just no. yet and no i hope that it's not too costly of a lesson right. when it right. when it happens absolutely and i think the the problem for governments generally, people who put laws in place, is that things like technology and social change always runs ahead of where our our rules are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's sort of this process of trying to catch up um, to figure out, oh, how do we, you know, deal with stuff that is hate speech on the internet? Yeah. Um, and, And I think, I mean, I think related to that, honestly, I don't think Donald Trump would have been elected president of this country 40 years ago, um, simply because I think he was a master at manipulating media. Mm-hmm. I think the media gave him way more attention than they needed to, um, and he was able to build on that momentum and then become this legitimate candidate. Yeah. Right? It's so interesting, though. Um, I don't want to extend too far down a wormhole. But really, you're talking about the more traditional mass media that gave him a lot of attention, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So is, this, is it this weird feedback loop where the uh, the traditional like television newspaper media is kind of hyper-focused in on social media, and they're getting their agenda from that, right. and then rebroadcasting <laughs> that out, which then creates a feedback right. loop as people reshare and react mm-hmm. to that. So it's right. sort of this information overload in our media system. Right. And some of it is because we've we've... You know, media has become entertainment. Mm. Um, news has become entertainment right. for people. You know, we have we have um, shows that are reality TV that we're basically voyeurs looking at <laughs> other people's lives rather than mm. living our own lives. Mm-hmm. And I think the media has responded to that need for entertainment within our society. Yeah, I mean, you don't really have to rely on media for news because you have so many other avenues. Absolutely. You know, so it 
it only makes sense that the media would shift into a new form right. of, right. you know. Well, yeah, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. So, you know, 50 years ago at 5 o'clock, the only thing on is the news, yeah. right? Right. And then now it's whatever subject you're interested in right. that algorithmically you're getting more and more stuff pushed to you. So why would you pay attention to whatever is Absolutely. not your most pertinent interest at the time? Absolutely. I teach a class on democratization, um, and I have the students read Václav Havel, who was the president of Czechoslovakia after the end of the Soviet era um, in Eastern Europe. And he was a playwright, and he was a dissident, um, and he came into the presidency because the people saw him as a moral leader within their society. And he, he talks a lot about the need for civility um, within society. And he, he even talks about the, the idea that because Czechoslovakia um, went from a, a very restricted to society to a very free society, that those freedoms were wonderful, but they posed some serious concerns as well, because not only would people use their freedom for good, they could use their freedom for ill as well. So he talked about the, the need for civility within society, within politics, that, that politics um, can really be a place of sort of moral leadership for society, um, that, they, that politicians can be these great examples to people to encourage them to be involved, to be informed, to be true citizens, you know, keeping tabs on what the government's doing and making sure that the government is, is working in the interests of the people. Um, and he, of course, was, was starting fresh with a new society. We've been at this for a couple of hundred years trying to develop our democracy. Um, and I think we've gotten away a little bit from the basic um, responsibility of citizenship, which is to be informed and be a voice that really calls our government to account um, and really checks it. And I think uh, going back to, to media and, and sort of social media broadly, we can, that, that can be a place where we can really have some checks on our government and really organize. I mean, we can organize in a way that we never have been able to do before. Um, and I think people need to start being a little bit more serious about their responsibilities in addition to their rights. We all know what our rights are, but we have a little bit lost sight of what our responsibilities are as far as um, really making sure that we're, we're using our, our gifts and our talents and our, our technology um, for good within society rather than for selfish means. But they had a hovel. I mean, they had a leader. They did. That, I, where are we going to find this leader? That's what I want to know. That is a really difficult question. I, I don't know the answer to it, but I think a lot of the young people um, can start demanding it. You know, our students can start saying, it's not good enough to have these same people in power forever um, and that we can do better. And I think if you start demanding that, the, the system will respond. Well, that, that's a good thought to leave us with, and I, I'm, I hope our students will attend your, your discussion coming up on October 26th at 3 p.m. in the Digital Lab. We hope to see everybody there. This will be a very thought-provoking discussion, and we thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank, thank you, you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
You're listening to UP Tech Talk, the podcast from Academic Technology Services and Innovation at the University of Portland, where we explore the use of technology in the classroom, one conversation at a time. UP Tech Talk is a bi-monthly podcast with co-hosts Ben Kahn and Maria Erb of Academic Technology Services and Innovation that explores the use of technology in the classroom one conversation at a time. We invite you to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play Music so that you never miss a new episode. To continue the conversation with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at TheBenCon, and Maria is at HerbFarm, that's E-R-B-F-A-R-M. For more information, please visit our blog at techtalk.up.edu. And browse our archives for dozens of episodes featuring great conversations with our UP faculty guests.